This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of the Career Musician Podcast, we have eclectic composer-bassist Victor Krauss, and he has been a presence in the Nashville, Tennessee area since 1992, with nearly 500 album credits as either a bassist, composer, songwriter, or producer. He's been Lyle Lovett's primary bassist since 1994, and his other credits include jazz great Bill Frizzell, James Taylor, Sheryl Crow, Robert Plant, Allison Krauss, Tom Jones, Carly Simon, Jerry Douglas, Chet Atkins, Larry Carlton, and literally the list goes on. Perhaps the best part is a little special section at the end of this interview that you are not going to want to miss about how career musicians can sustain themselves in the long term with some other business ideas. Right here on the Career Musician Podcast with yours truly, Nomad. Victor Krauss, welcome to the Career Musician. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we just discovered that we have a few mutual friends back in Nashville. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you were telling me that you moved to Nashville in 92. Is that right? Yes. I, I'm from uh, Champaign, Illinois, originally. And um, I was starting to make a, a little bit of a commute back and forth uh, a year out of college. And, uh, and then it just kind of started to feel like this would be a good fit and it was manageable drive for a little while and then kind of did a little research on that commute and seemed like okay well maybe this would be a a good choice to you know for the next step yeah that's so awesome it's funny because i ended up in nashville in 97 from south florida i went to new york originally but i think you know that was still the tail end in the 90s, the early, mid, and late 90s was still the tail end of those big sessions that oh, were yeah, yeah. positions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, it was still a really great time. I mean, for the music business, you know, um, up until, I mean, I would say up until like uh, 99, 2000, or even 2002, where it felt like you were still kind of before limited pressing became the norm for <laughs> for the musicians union and and big budgets and you know and uh only place you could record is in a commercial studio so there had to be a budget that was available in order to pay people like that and, right you know, i'm yeah. so glad you brought that up for those listening who might not know what what victor means by limited pressing in the union uh you have different scales different wages in which the musicians are paid and one of them is called limited pressing, which means that they made less copies of the quote unquote album <laughs> or mm-hmm. CDs or whatever. And therefore they paid uh, everybody less money because the budget was smaller. Um, so I'm so glad you brought that up because yeah. nowadays 
uh, you know, some 15, 20 years later, those that terminology isn't as much as in our daily vernacular as some other terminology, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess with the union, I mean, I, I, I am a uh, strong believer in the union in terms of, you know, what it can do uh, for you in terms of protecting what sets the, uh, sets the norm for, um, you know, what, what as musicians are paid, you know, and, and a lot of the time it comes in handy when you're trying to negotiate a session that you say, well, I'm just fine with the, you know, the uh, union, either limited pressing, low budget master or master scale, or, or even better yet, double scale if you can get it, you know, but, uh, um, but it, it is helpful in terms of being able to, to, um, you know, to negotiate a little easier with, uh, with somebody who doesn't really know what to pay you. Um, if, if, you know, if you don't want to insult them by getting your, you know, making it uh, have sticker shock or you don't want to underpay yourself. Um, so that, that's kind of handy. And then just everything with, you know, with the uh, um, special payments and reuses is nice as well. Once again, and I, I believe in the same, I'm, I'm a proponent of it. Um, you know, when I came out here to LA back in 2005, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, in Nashville, we call it on the card, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In LA, they say the contract. It's a little different. Okay, yeah. But it basically <laughs> means that you're using a union agreement, right? Mm -hmm. to say that, hey, as the musician, I, you know, I am part of a collective. The union represents me in, in the fact that we have these scales and such. And, you know, and then the other side of that is the production company or the recording company, whatever, the mm. recording label, uh, the record label. Um, you said some really good things in there we have to unpack because I want the young generation <laughs> to understand if you're doing big, I'll, I'll use big for lack of a better adjective. If you're doing big sessions, right, like major label sessions where the artists you're playing for are, you know, big artists. Mm hmm really want to encourage the union and that's what victor's saying that's what you're saying here um you know through special payments and other things like that can you expound on that maybe for again for people yeah you know it, it's funny i i guess um you know special payments there's uh sound recording special payments fund and there's also motion picture special payments fund which is great i love the motion picture one. you know so if you if you play on a on a film score or uh, have a song that's placed that was done with a union contract. You get you get paid again, and some for some years, uh, sometimes many many times, and uh, and and those those checks come out usually in the summertime, um, <clears throat> which is always exciting because you um, um, well back in back in the nineties some of those could be really big checks. That's right. And, uh, you know, they've gotten smaller over time just because a lot of the things aren't done on the card quite as much or, or under contract. And um, so it's um, um, there's certain things that you can kind of gauge by what sessions you take, which ones may be your advantage to be, you know, part of the union where where you do have to pay dues on that, which doesn't always feel great on, on the front end. But I mean, there are certain things that really do protect you in the in the long run. Um, you know, like uh, oh gosh, I, I was trying to think. Uh, there was a, a finesse uh, shampoo commercial that I played on years and years ago, and um, and there's been other jingles like that. So if if it was a, done as a union session, any time that that uh, commercial would be played on the air, you'd get 
paid again. Um, or, you know, in, in this, also in the same sense as if you play on a song that gets later put onto a compilation or it gets bumped up from uh, limited pressing to uh, master scale, you get paid again. And um, <clears throat> so it's just like, because you never know what well, some of these things, what, how they may be placed. And um, so often it's, it's uh, uh, in the long run, it's a, it's a better deal than, than what it might appear getting a bill saying, you know, you owe $10 for, you know, a session you played on. Right, uh, right. Yeah, man, well said. That's that's yeah. the truth of the matter. Sorry, we dived right, dove right into it. You brought yeah. up that's perfect, actually. Yeah. So thank you for sharing with us about that. Um, and you know, of course, anybody listening, if you want to find out more, just go to the AFM, which is the American Federation of Musicians. You can find out pretty much everything about them online. And each state and city has their own local. Uh, so for Nashville, it's two five seven. Yeah, you heard you forty seven. And out here we're two, we're forty seven. Just yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've I've been a member of both, and it has you know been beneficial. So I totally agree. Yeah, <laughs> man. So what I always like to ask guests is, how did you get started, man? When did the music bug bite you? Oh gosh. Uh, well, my parents both encouraged my sister and I to uh, take instruments at age five, and there you know there's only so many that that you can do you know being that small and so i i started on piano my sister on violin and uh, i mean i always loved music but i didn't love lessons that much on piano i i ended up switching to um to well i i started playing trumpet at the same time in fifth grade and then i saw somebody in middle school playing uh string bass double bass <clears throat> and that was really intriguing to me and that that's kind of what you know probably solidified me becoming you know uh more interested in music than anything else and um i don't know i just i just loved what it what it did how it i mean i was first intrigued by just the way how it looked and uh, uh it was in middle school and i saw you know it was everybody playing violins and cellos maybe a viola or two and then there was this one lone bassist in the, in the middle and it's just like wow you know that not only looks cool but when he started playing and hearing all this low end happen it was really a a statement and um you know i, I think i still love bass for that reason that it's one of the most powerful arrangers you know that what just by the fact of when you enter or when you drop out or what octave you choose you know you can do very simple gestures and speak volumes I was just going to say, boy, you know, when the bass drops out, you can hear it immediately. It's because yeah. you're also feeling it, not just hearing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that, I, I, I think, you know, and, and it's funny. I mean, I play other instruments, but I always feel like the, the, uh, the bass, I always feel like, okay, this is what I really do. You know? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Guitar is my primary, even though I, I play other instruments and yeah. I think pretty much all of us can, you know, find some relation, you know, to that, right? It makes sense for us. Yeah. I wanted to start by acknowledging that uh, you, you've played on so many, you know, dates, or we call them dates back in the day, sessions, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting stuck in my old 60s and 70s studio vernacular, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> you know, over 500 album credits, a bunch of films, you know, you're a composer, you're a, pr a producer as well. 
Um, you've played with some of the, you know, some big musical heavyweights. When you talk, when you think of people like Bill Frizzell, you know, you're, you know, you're not talking about just your everyday run-of-the-mill pop music, you know, or even Chet Atkins, some of the uh, Harry Connick Jr., some of these huge names that are so adept at many styles. But then you played with so many big pop acts too, Sheryl Crow, you know, Robert Plant. I mean, you're talking about legends too. So, uh, and the list goes on. What I would love to hear from you is, you know, because I'm a huge believer in diversity, right? In <laughs> styles. How did you set forth to do that? You start on piano and a little bit of trumpet, bass. You know, I think sometimes it's hard for us to focus, right? As musicians, we love everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so talk about uh, it about your, your storied career and how you got to do all these cool things? Wow. Well, uh, I mean, I, um, I mean, I was, I mean, it was kind of, you know, with bass, you know, you're kind of forced to play in a lot of different situations because almost everybody needs a bass player. I, um, I, I did grow up playing a lot of jazz in, in Illinois where I'm from and uh, some orchestral stuff. I was a bass performance major for one semester and then decided not to. Uh, um, I, I knew that I wasn't going to be a uh, career classical bassist, but I, I did end up finishing in uh, um, theory composition uh, at U of University of Illinois. And uh, so I was playing in, in rock bands. You know, I, I accompanied my sister at uh, uh, fiddle competitions and did her band for, for a little bit. And so I was playing bluegrass music and, and uh, uh, but jazz and rock probably more so. And uh, uh, I did think about Los Angeles for a long time as a possibility as, as a place to move, you know, and actually, in lots of different years, I kind of thought about it too, just because of of uh, what's you know what's happening musically, especially in the film world there. Um, but I mean, uh, it was interesting because when I moved to to Nashville and and people that knew me either in a jazz circuit or a bluegrass circuit or a rock circuit knew that I kind of did you know uh, it was kind of immersed in a lot of that stuff and uh so i got asked to do kind of a, a range of of things and and uh um and, it, and it's kind of kind of kept that way i mean like um this is kind of a, a um an interesting week because uh um i i played on a couple tracks on molly tuttle's record uh with uh jerry douglas producing you know which are big you know you know, heavyweights in the bluegrass field, and then I'm going to work with uh, Paula Cole this week, and then, um, and then um, with uh, Mike Stern and uh, um, Keith Carlock and um, um, Bill Evans this weekend, and so it's it's kind of kind of all over the place still, which is which is pretty fun, you know. <laughs> Fresh man, it really does. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so, I mean, I've been fortunate in, in terms of, of where, where it does stay, you know, I always thought the bluegrass guys thought I was a jazz guy, the jazz guys thought I was a bluegrass or a rock guy. And, uh, you know, I, I always think of myself as a, probably a rock guy first, but, uh, so, um, I don't know, 
is always kind of interesting what I get placed to do. <laughs> Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. I love that. I mean, bluegrass, jazz, and rock. That's such a great little, you know, trifecta of, of styles. And, you know, as we know, everything kind of, you know, overlaps, right? There's this great yeah. in everything that we do, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, and uh, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, I don't know. I, I, I like, I guess I've, over time kind of thought of as having maybe um, a distinct thing to offer that I don't necessarily um, try to be a chameleon. I mean, I try to be what's a, as appropriate, but um, I think, you know, I mean, there's so many players here in Nashville that, uh, you know, you, if you want somebody who can do a certain thing, you know, if, if you've paid attention on records or a producer has paid attention on records, you'll be able to get that from, a certain great player. And, um, I think a lot of the time, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably a color or, or a flavor that people want, um, you know, for certain things, but, you know, I wouldn't, I'd be the first one to say, I'm not the perfect one to play. You know, I, I can't play slap bass, you know, uh, uh you know, on slap upright bass. So of course I've called Dave Rowe or, or a hand of, a handful of other people and I can't bow very well. So, you know, you would, you know, you would hire Edgar Meyer or, or a handful of other great people. So, um, I don't pretend to, to try to do you know, something I can't really do, or I try to tell people, you know, it's so funny, like, Oh, I'll play on a, on a, on a recording you know, do a week of tracking or, or a few days of tracking. And then the very last thing they asked me if I brought a bow and, and I'll go, Oh gosh, this is going to negate everything that I did prior to this. They're going to just remember the last thing that I don't play Arco very well. Now, right. Yeah. Right. You know, or they'll have to go, okay. Oh yeah. You can do that, but he can't do that very well. Yes. So <laughs> but, I, there's no shame in, in knowing your weaknesses, right. You know, cause 
in that sense, there's enough to go around for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know. I, I always like knowing that I have the ability to do a good job at something, and if it feels like it's a compromise for somebody, then I, I don't know, I always feel good about that. Right, you know I mean? right, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Man, that reminds me of a, a gig that I did years ago, probably uh, maybe almost 20 years ago, <laughs> with Nicholas Payton, the trumpeter, the trumpet player. Okay. Ja he's, a, he's a monster, jazz. Uh -huh. You know, uh, he saw me playing with Kirk Whalum. Oh, wow. And, you know, Kirk's music is much more uh, soul R&B jazz. It's yeah, jazz, yeah. jazz tinged, you know, jazz influence. And I, I can play jazz, but I'm not like a bebop head. I am not. I'm know, not either, yeah. <laughs> yeah so I'm, not, I'm not the first call bebop person, you know. But uh, Nicholas heard me play with Kirk. And for whatever reason, I guess he liked what he heard. So he called me to play a gig with him. And it was just one of those things where, you know, they counted off the first tune and it was like, you know, 220, you know, BPM. Um, yeah. Wing groove, you know, it's, it's, it's moving so fast. You can't even fathom, you know, you're like, yeah. Slow down. I need to figure out which bar I'm on. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, I yeah. that lesson, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. what you were saying, you know, hey, definitely acknowledge it. And I think for me, I, it was a long time ago. I was probably still in my late 20s, maybe, uh, you know, it just the lesson was if you if you have a sense that perhaps you're not the right person, don't be afraid to speak up. Well, yeah, and then your reputation is still good for what they know that you do well, as opposed to being aware of what you don't know well. Don't give them the chance to let them hear you uh, stumble. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So uh, I, I love that, that we covered that too. So check. Perfect. <laughs> Something else I wanted to talk about. You've been a longtime member of Lyle Lovett's band. It's since 1994. You've been it, Lyle Lovett's primary bassist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I started with him in 94. I, uh, um, it was a gig that I, that I wanted uh, from a couple years beforehand. And, and I remember hearing, uh, him do uh it was the lyle levin and his large band record which came out in i think it was 88 and uh i thought that was a really cool record and you know i'd see him on the tonight show he's on tonight show so much at the time it's like this is a really interesting guy and then i remember joshua judge's ruth record i think came out in 91 and it was just like wow this is so great I, you know i'd love to play with him and uh, when I first moved to Nashville, um, you know, I started kind of trying to bug people that were in his management, let it be known that I was interested in doing it. And, um, yeah. And, and, and I, uh, um, I ended up contacting Ken Levitan, uh, who had heard what was Lyle's manager, but there were some mutual friends that it wasn't completely inappropriate for me to talk to him and you know and he said that um uh uh you know well you know lyle has somebody and but you know feel free to stay in touch for whatever reason and so i i would call every once in a while and just check in and and um i remember this was in 94 i'd been working with um peter rowan for you know for about a year or so and and uh uh, was having a, a very lean summer 
And uh, I thought, well, I'll just call up Ken and see what's, you know, to see if, you know, even if it's not about Lyle, about some, something else. And he said before I even, you know, before I even, even finished saying hello, he says, oh, Lyle may need a bass player. And uh, so, yeah, and, and so I... I um, I just told him how much I would love to do it. And um, there was a bunch of kind of back and forth. He wanted me to meet meet me. And uh, and there were enough people that kind of had heard me in different situations to say that, well, that may not be a horrible idea uh, to have me. Uh, so I ended up um, getting the gig about 10. I, I got confirmed to do the gig about two weeks before they were going to go out on tour. <laughs> and uh, so it was like a, you know, a huge catalog of music, but uh, um, they kind of worked me in. They had one bass player who was leaving and um, they wanted me to observe what he did for like the first week of the tour. And then I kind of gradually kind of take over in the set. And then, 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 you know, within a week I was playing the show. Um, but uh yeah it's it's been a it's been a good run and you know he's had me on his records and uh there's been certain years where i didn't do all of the touring during the have due to having kids and and uh, <clears throat> but yeah it's pretty much been around well let's let's talk about that because there's a couple things that i want to bring to you know to the forefront here i don't care whether it's lyle lovett you know a long time uh very you know high-end big quote-unquote you know art named artist or if it's somebody newer so the first thing that i want to recognize is that you said man i like this artist and i want to play with them even before it happened <laughs> so, you know you started bringing to to the to fruition this goal right and you just said you latched onto it so i don't care if it's lyle lovett or dua lipa you know, or, or whomever, fill in the blank of, you know, today's mm -hmm. big artists. What I like about what you did is you set your sights and then you had the tenacity to call up management. So let's talk about that, man, because that's, I think that's really smart. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think nobody likes, nobody doesn't like to hear that they're appreciated or somebody would want to work with them, you know, and, and if you do it in a, in a uh, tactful, polite, professional way, you know that it's um, people will listen to you, or if you if they if they know that that you have something to offer, um, you know, again, kind of knowing your own limitations and strengths to know, okay, th this could really work, you know, because I know what I do is is good um, for this. Right, right. right. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, that, uh, you know, to, to, to kind of being able to put yourself out there and allow people to know that, but also to be able to back it up if the door is open for you. Same way if somebody's vouching for you, too, you know, just to be aware, okay, because somebody's going to the, to, to the lengths to say, yes, my friend here is good enough, you know they're putting their reputation on the line too, you know. Well, I wanted to talk about that too, because you <laughs> also made sure that you built enough of a case for yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. By having some common names that you can drop and say, oh, well, hey, well, so-and-so knows me and, and I'm friends with this person and I've worked with this person. You know, like you said, they can vouch for you, right? Yeah. That's huge. 
Yeah, I, I I think that's that's good. I mean, like if you know, like if you know, if you're a total unknown, you know, even if you're the very best person in the world for the job, sometimes it's harder to do than somebody who's got a little bit of a track record. Hi, this is Victor Kraus, and you're listening to the Career Musician with Nomad. Blasting the stereotype of musicians. Follow us at the Career Musician Podcast. Binge previous seasons of the Career Musician Podcast and subscribe for all new episodes. I love the fact, again, that your versatility, you per, you're a performer, you know, you perform, you do touring gigs, whatnot, but you also compose and produce. You have uh, a nice amount of film and TV credits here. How do you like to break up your routine or do you, is it is something that you premeditate or do you literally just take, you know, feel the, the jobs as they come or the, you know, the opportunities and then just it's probably more of that, yeah, you know, yeah. just whatever is happening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the film and the film and composing thing is always something I'd, I'd, I'd like to do more than I do. Um, Cause it, it's, it's, it's something I, I just um, really love that. You know, in terms of the writing, in terms of, you know, the emotional contact, writing for picture or trying to create some kind of um, storyline. Um, that's one of my favorite places to be. Um, but it really is. I mean, it is kind of like well, however uh, the work kind of comes in, dictates <laughs> what you do. Um, and it's always funny. I mean, it always kind of like you end up doing one thing for a minute and then it always comes in like pairs or three things you know and then it's um i don't know it's even the same thing with studios like where you won't work at one studio for for a uh for two years and then you have two sessions at the same place you know and right, right. <laughs> yeah 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 so true okay so something else that is really important to us here at the career musician we're we're launching a course in hopefully the late fall of this year um, to teach musicians, professional musicians who are at least aspiring, how to do really good professional home recordings, right? How to really master the art of getting your, your home-based recordings dialed in. And so again, something else we just talked about offline before we uh, you know started the interview, you just had your home studio built out. Yeah. Uh, Talk about that. Is it's it's definitely a process. It it could be fun, but it could also be nerve wracking. I know. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. talk about your foray into the home studio world. Well, I, I've I've always kind of I mean, like my first, uh, you know, back in high school, um, you know, I I you know I had a Fostex X15 cassette multi tracker, you know, which you know little cassette thing, and I was always doing recordings at home and, and, you know, experimenting with things and, uh, and it, it all, I, I'm a bit of a gear junkie. And so it, uh, um, it's gotten kind of out of hand over the years, but I mean, as far as it, like, if you're doing a specialty thing for your, you know, your individual instrument, I, I guess, would that be the way to approach it? Maybe to talk about if it's one, um, I mean, just to have, you know, like to work, I mean, so many people work in, you know, in, in Pro Tools or Logic or or uh, uh, Nuendo or it's people still work in Nuendo, right? Yeah. Uh, um, that uh, uh, to, you know, to be kind of become familiar with, um, 
you know, how each one of the formats, I, I work both, I work more in, in Pro Tools and some in, in Logic, but I mean, they all kind of um, work with each other fine. But, um, uh, you know, uh, having good preamps, you know, I mean, like, uh, um, I've, I've got a few things that, that have kind of worked over the years. One nice compressor. There's, um, um, I guess, if you're editing, uh, <laughs> uh, how would how would you uh, like? Is there more of a direct way you want me to talk about this question? I mean, I just well, you know what? It was such a broad question. I guess part of it I was referring to the actual build out of the studio that. You oh, okay. Because I love that how uh, you were on Instagram. I saw a post and there was con some construction going on a couple houses down. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. You didn't hear a thing thanks to the guys who built this awesome studio for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, I'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, um, yeah, I mean, as far as, I mean, we kind of went extreme because I, um, you know, I, we'd been working out of my house for years and years, which is hard to do if you have children, you have wife, and you have clients coming in, and so you're kind of tiptoeing around each other. And it was always a thought that we wanted to build um either get the studio out of the house, either to, um, uh, you know, a place that we'd rent or, uh, and we decided to build a, a totally separate structure. And uh, it was something we thought about for years and years. I think our, even our architectural plan stated back to 2017. And so we were kind of on and off and then we decided to do it. And uh, with this space, we, we made a, um, it's, it's roughly a thousand square foot, building and since it's mainly me that works here you know i'll have clients coming we've done a couple tracking things here but it's, it's primarily me and um um so we made one kind of large space here that was also conducive to mixing and uh, and then a separate uh, vocal booth which is back there and um uh and then a, like a lounge area which is a little more live and drums sound really good in there and so we wired it so we could have options oh, and um so but we went to we live um kind of right in the middle of town not downtown but kind of uh uh we're we're near um belmont university and vanderbilt university and the hospital so there's you know there's the helicopters flying over uh there's constant building here there's uh, a dog pretty much everywhere um you know uh it's it's a pretty noisy neighborhood and it was really important to us that the one thing that really kind of was driving me crazy with all the construction that was happening here was mainly the backing up of the trucks you know um you know the, the constant noise like i have birds you know in the recordings dogs and you know it's just like so much of the workflow was interrupted and so it was, we made this building kind of versatile enough. So if the next person that bought this house, you know, didn't want a studio that it, you know, could be a, um, a separate apartment or a mother-in-law suite or whatever. Um, so, but we really did want to make it soundproof and have it sound really good. So uh, we did went to all the lengths of, of having a, a sound consultant um, build it to the point where, uh, you know, you hear of floating floors, which so the so um, 
uh, any any kind of noise outside doesn't resonate. Um, we're you know it's right on the ground, but at the same time, if if something is pounding, you're not going to f- hear it. So it sits uh, the floor is uh, independent. It sits on like these rubber. Um, um, I don't know, like little bumpers on top of a concrete slab, and then the uh, the walls, uh, mainly in this space and in the vocal space, sit on um, the the drywall is totally independent from the um, uh, the studs. So the uh, the drywall sits on a, a what's called a clip system. It's this metal track that it attaches to this and then the clip system has very little contact to the actual studs and then the this was a special drywall um that has two pieces in one uh which don't touch as well and uh it's it's kind of like a similar thing as like building a wall within a wall and uh, probably some people that have you know that have built studios heard of green glue which is you know, it's a buffer type of thing that's supposed to be sound absorbing and uh, allow certain space not to resonate. So we did all this. And then, um, you know, another thing we did, I don't know if you could, um, we put these huge windows in here, um, which are nine nine feet tall. And, um, you know, what, uh, under the um, uh, disapproval of our, uh, contractor, our architect, and our sound person because they were sound consultants because you know it's essentially uh, poking a giant hole in into the into the structure, and so it's he said well it's really only going to be as strong as you know as what you can do with these windows, and so we found an outfit out of uh, Reno, uh, Nevada, that specializes in either studio windows or houses that are near airports. So, um, so we had these this these windows um, affixed inside the antique windows um, to to. Um, That's killer. Yeah, so it it really worked out, and then um, now you can't really see it, but behind me that that it's an antique door, and it has um, some uh, uh, seals that really. Uh, make a huge difference. Uh, you know, it gets from Canada or whatever. And um, they, uh, you know, if you buy a real studio door, you're looking at like almost $5,000. And, uh, you know, I didn't really want to do that. <laughs> After we'd blown our budget on so much other stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, and then, and then we ended up getting these sound panels um, made. And uh, I don't know, probably you can see it above the one. Some of it looks like uh, a little bit like Swiss cheese. Right. Um um those are base traps and this room is about 16 feet tall and um uh, it sounded like a gymnasium before we put all the treatment in and um you know and i mean like buying buying acoustic treatment is about as fun as buying a uh a roof in some ways you know (laughs) so i was really kind of you know i don't want to do this and then and then he sold me on it you know and he came in and did an ultrasound on the room by just clapping and knowing what the attack what the the decay of the room is and what was bouncing off of what and um it really turned out beautifully i think it it did it did our listeners can't see it but it almost has like this old kind of chapel church vibe to it yeah yeah i can see in the video yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it. Um, we um, our house was built in 1905, and wow. so we kind of wanted it to 
we took some of the attributes like architectural stuff um from from that house to to kind of make it look like it might have always been here right right so i love i love the fact that you put together a budget you did it right you hired all these different consultants experts in their field right and mm -hmm. and you did the whole process so to me that's the uh ultimate quote unquote home studio right even though it's not yeah. your home it's still on your property so that's yeah yeah but before that you didn't uh, you didn't allow the fact that you didn't have this to hinder you from recording you know and that's the whole premise here once again at the career musician we stand for sustainability how are you going to develop a sustainable career well you have to work with what you have sometimes yeah and, you know, that's what you did prior to that and now obviously you're doing the same in a different light but you mm -hmm. you know preamps compressors so i always say get a good preamp compressor or a combination thereof mm -hmm. nowadays of course there's so many great plugins that you can use uh that's almost not as important but it still does make a difference i feel when you have a hardware unit wouldn't you agree hey folks stefan shirazi and renee richardson here from the metallica report and we are proud members of the pantheon podcast family where the best of music and podcasts unite we've got something pretty cool for you we're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I, I, uh, I recently got a, um, a, a 70s um, uh, Universal, uh, Universal Audio uh, LA3A. Nice. And it's just like it's changed my life you know i mean it's just like in terms of where um just like i've gotten so much more ability of of nuance in terms of like mic placement because okay. it, it's doing some of the work for you but you can um you can let the room do more things for you as opposed to getting it right up to it you know um i, I think it behaves different differently than than um than a plug-in yeah I, I i so agree with that because it's yeah. you can't reproduce physics of what's in a room with space and air proximity and all those things uh, i yeah. i know you get close but still i i still like having a, the, the hardware itself yeah yeah eq kind of scares me like i love having the eq after the fact as right. a plug-in now right like, um but uh I, every once in a while, I think it would be great to have, you know, one of those GML, you know, EQ. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but, and, and I think the biggest thing is, again, something that I really like to, you know, remind all the listeners of our community is don't be afraid to experiment, right? How many yeah. times have you just started twiddling knobs and things to get sounds, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's, that's, that's what we that's do. so much of the fun, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, a, and a good microphone. Yes, too yeah. is really you know really um it is i mean like i've i've bought some nice you know i've kind of as as i've been able to get nicer microphones as a as you know um as a result but something you know i mean even like if you spent you know 
five hundred dollars on a four fourteen or something like that. You know, such a versatile microphone. Wow. You know, that's that's a that's a great. You know, I mean, there's plenty of other. Just an example, but uh, sure. something sure. that's that's a good starting. Absolutely. What are some of the biggest projects you've done from home? You know, whether it was in your studio prior to this or this studio now, what are some of the bigger projects you've done right at your home rig? Oh, gosh. Like um, bigger in the sense of of, of um, like a whole record or uh, – yeah, I guess, or or even in the in the uh, marquee sense of, oh wow, I can't believe you know you did that Allison Krauss record at your house, <laughs> or that track, well, you know, for whatever you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, gosh, uh, it's so funny. I mean, like I didn't. This is kind of a funny story. It's not necessarily. This is kind of maybe uh, expanding on the the idea that you really great work with minimal equipment. Um, I. Um, I played on James Taylor's last album, the is American Standard record, wow. and um, they had it, had me come in and do overdubs on, you know, uh, at Treasure Island in um, in Nashville, and then there was another time at Blackbird um, Studio, and then they wanted me to do a couple more tunes, but I was on tour, mm. and. Um, and I said, well, I, you know, I, I always kind of bring something with me um, just in the event that somebody wants me to do an overdub while I'm on tour. And so um, I didn't have my my recording instrument, but I had one that sounded good with me, um, uh, uh, a microphone that's attached to my ear trumpet labs, which is this um, nice, nice company that does. Uh, they make a one that's specifically for bass that kind of sits right under the bridge, but I had really nice luck with it. And then I had an Apogee one preamp and I was, and I had logic on a laptop. And so I was able to do uh, what ended up being two of the keeper bass tracks um, in a hotel. I did it in a hotel room uh, in, um, uh, oh gosh, it was near Duluth, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but it, but it was, you know, but I had to be mindful of people opening, you know, getting out of the elevator or somebody slamming a door or anything like that. But it, you know, but I mean, just to think that you can do that kind of work on something, you know, where you don't have all your equipment and be able to, you know, get a good sound that's passable for something that that's forever, you know. <laughs> Right, that's right, and it's such a large scale, you know. So that's exactly the point. I love that. Uh, I think that you know speaks to the technology that we have today, but also it's about the user and you know how well you know your gear, right, and how to. Yeah, I think I mean, and and you know, if when uh, just kind of figuring out what's what are the sweet spots, you know, and like I've, I've kind of I've kind of gotten to know, you know, my own instrument that I usually take to. A session that'll that I can kind of gauge a, a good starting point of where this is going to be, and um, you know, if I if I move the microphone high up on the instrument, it's going to bring this one sound, or if I bring it closer to the bridge or lower, that it will bring a different sound. Um, and uh, I always like using a um, a direct signal as well, you know, with, off the pickup, off the one of the piezo pickups, off the off the bass. It always helps me in terms of pitch. It also offers um, 
uh, sustain that necessarily a microphone can't right. pick up. So they help each other. And so I'm always kind of, you know, I mean, I've kind of arrived at a sound that I like. I don't um, usually send a whole lot of compression to if I'm sending files and just let people kind of work with what, what they have in mind. And usually people kind of end up knowing what they're, you know, most of the time people know what they want and know what they're doing. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, yeah. and that's great. That's a good point because you you have to be, it has to be like vanilla enough to fit right in the middle yeah, producers and engineers on the other end can still manipulate it to get what they want. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, and then there's also, I mean, if you have a feeling that somebody's going to use, let's say, more of the microphone versus the DI or a certain component of somebody's sound, you know, you might play to that reaction, you know, or that nuance more so than the other way around. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> No, it makes perfect sense. Very cool. Well, it's, like I said, I can't believe we haven't connected while I was in Nashville, uh, you know, for those eight years. Uh, we have a lot of the same mutual friends. Um, yeah. You know, so shout out to all of our homies back in the Ville. Yeah. Uh, Nashville, this has been great. Before we go, man, I always love to ask everybody this. There's so many different opinions on the subject. How do you define success? Because I truly believe that everybody has a different way of looking at it oh gosh um well i think success can be just uh, i i think feeling happy about what you're doing mm -hmm. and uh i mean sure being paid is wonderful <laughs> and uh i mean being paid as a, as a musician but i i think uh in a lot of the, um i've i've found that you know a lot of the time stuff that doesn't pay as well is the stuff that I love the most. Mm -hmm. And there's other stuff that I, you know, uh, you know, if you find passion in doing it, you don't um, often look at the the check, but you can't do all that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I think there's just a balance. A success is being, I guess, being happy in what, in what you're doing, but also um, knowing that you can kind of take care of yourself and your, your family at the same time. I don't know. I, I, I guess. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't a career musician? Um, that's a good question. I've always, uh, I love architecture. Um, you know, it's funny. I, uh, my, uh, dad's business was, uh, or is real estate and uh not not as a broker but an investor and in, in that kind of stuff so i i used to do a bit of that too at the same time uh, you know before i moved here and i always thought one of my favorite times was such the balance of of actually just doing um that side of my brain on the on the you know financial or real estate side but then just working on stuff that I really love to do musically. Just for fun. Yeah. yeah. And that was, you know, sometimes I think sometimes with the, uh, um, you know, the hustle of being a musician in terms of keeping things going and feeling like it's always like the, the gig that you're doing in the moment that you always think it's your last one, you know. <laughs> it's always slipping through your fingers, right? Like, oh my yeah. God. Or 
you know, or, or somebody's figured out, oh, okay, well, he's really terrible, you know, or everybody figures out that you suck and, and that you're never going to be hired again, you know. So. Oh, you mean the fact of being an artist, of our inter internal dialogue on a daily, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, that never goes away. <laughs> yeah, so true, so true. I love that. Do you, do you keep that up at all? Have you pursued the investing side, you know, real estate investing? In yeah, some. We've got a couple rent rental properties here in town. and uh, I think um, very wise. Yeah, well, it, it was um, uh, it was very handy during the pandemic, you know, when none of us were doing anything. It was it was kind of uh, it was I was glad we had those. <laughs> if, if there were listeners out there that were curious on how to get started in that, what, yeah. would, what would you direct them towards? Well, you know, it is it it is very hard as a musician from a bank standpoint because you might as well tell them you're you're a pedophile. <laughs> or you know, we've got some kind of, you know, criminal record, Big you know, yeah. yeah, and uh, I mean, as anyone knows, you know, listen, we've had, you know, it's very difficult without W two income or, you know, ten ninety nine income, and you know, and, and um, even refinancing your home is like, you know, you're on trial, you know, even though you have a perfect track record, and, you know, um, so that makes it tough. It's uh, What's that? It does feel like you're on trial sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those loans, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're presenting all this stuff. And even though, you know, you may have a perfect track record and your score, credit score may be really high, they still, you know, are, are very scared of you. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of the time that I've felt I, I've had to kind of, um, uh, you know, most um, lenders really want to have 25% down these days on something uh, in terms of rental property. You know, I always look at, um, you know, always have to make sure that it's um, that there's cash flow, like your short term, uh, your short term investment has to be paying, you have to see black right away as opposed to red, you can't necessarily think in terms of, well, over time, I'm going to I mean, which is great. You 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 invest for the the short term and the long run, and you um, mean uh, the long run. You're always you know just as the nature of real estate. You're always going to make. You're probably always going to make a profit unless um, you know you end up in a place like Detroit, or, or you know you know you never know. Um, you know, but that's now coming up. It's bouncing back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's bouncing back. But you know, just to watch the market that that you don't buy, you don't overbuy, which everybody's doing right now. Everybody right now. Yeah. yeah. So people may end up getting hurt um, in the long run. So just to kind of, like I, I use a mortgage calculator that I determine how much uh, you can put down on something, how much your taxes and insurance, and then you, then you also then find out um, uh, how much, um, you know, they always call it ROI, you know, um, you know, just how how um, if if you can surpass your note, and then surpass your expenses, um, your taxes, your insurance, and uh, you know, and then good tenants are right. always helpful too. And, and <laughs> able to manage the property and whatnot, yeah, yeah, and and being able to to uh, if you have time and skill to be able to handle some of the repairs on your own and be able to manage it yourself. 
you know, all those things add up. I don't know. That's uh, a, <laughs> I like talking about that stuff too. Yeah. Same here. And that, that's why I'm a huge proponent in it. Uh, uh, you know, um, I think it's so important for musicians again, for that sustainability to have something like that, that they can keep operating in the background. Right. Yeah. Not something that necessarily requires a, a daily, you know, attention. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never found that the balance juggling having property and that has been too much. Right. And uh, I think it's, it's a good part of your brain to use. Yes. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I do think it is key to make sure that it has short term um, uh, return. Positive cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. Positive cash flow just because you don't want to carry it. That's right. You know, if you have a lean period or if you don't have a, a renter for a, for a month that it's, that it's, it's your, your gross rent always exceeds your, uh, your note. Man. Victor, thank you so much for sharing yeah. <laughs> wisdom with us because again, listeners, I can't, I can't emphasize enough. You know, when Victor says you may have a lean period or you don't <laughs> carry your tenants if, or you don't want to carry your vacant property when you don't have tenants, these are all things to really take into consideration. So, you know, man, I love it from one career musician to another. Yeah. I'm so grateful and stoked to now know you as a friend. Because thank you. I, it's it's uh, been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.